Blog Talk Radio. And welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Voodoo Rootwork Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe, clifflow.com in scenic Phoenix, New Jersey, and in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood of luckymojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjurman of conjurmanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we'll be joined by a special guest, Cousin Joshua of CousinJoshua.com, in Atlanta, Georgia, bringing us today's topic of garden magic. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as divine and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman. Ms. Cat? Hi, Clifford. Well, we just had a little uh, confabulation before the show, Clifford and Conjurman and me, talking about how well the Hoodoo Heritage Festival went. Uh, we were all um, presenters, and we had a wonderful time. I want to thank everybody who came out for that festival it was really, really nice. And, um, you know, we're going to make it so that if you miss the festival, you'll be able to pay some money and get those video lectures as well as the video version of the what was the live Q&A. And we even have some goodie boxes for sale because the last two years we ran out of goodie boxes and people said, oh, I would have wanted a goodie box. Well, now you're going to be able to get one, so that's going to be great. Thanks to Papa G and Roy, who will be handling goodie box distribution. So just want to let you all know we are um, moving onward. We haven't planned our next festival yet. And Papa G, I know, is in the chat. He's going to be going, no, no, not planning the next one yet. But it was really a lot of fun. We had a great time. I want to thank everyone who presented and everyone who came out for it. And, of course, the results were uh, a couple of new books were published and debuted at the festival. And now you can get those books at Amazon. And those are Hex Appeal by Papa G and uh, my book on Hoodoo Dolls. And so now you can have them without having to buy a ticket to the festival. <laughs> All right. So that's my news. Um, how about you, Conjurman? Oh, it was a, a fun festival. I'm definitely recuperating or <laughs> decompressing to a certain degree because uh, it's a whole weekend worth of, of workshops. And uh, they go by quite fast and they're quite fun. But what a fantastic, fantastic event it was. It went very smoothly. Uh, no technology issues, at least that we could see on, on our end. I'm sure there was a lot of scrambling behind the scenes. But it would go by technologically very smooth and very cool workshops. I know I took lots of notes 
uh, got a chance to learn some new things, uh, heard some, from some fantastic, fantastic panelists, um, got a chance to see the amazing books. So people who missed out, the, the fact that they'll get a chance to see these workshops and to see the Q&A and to learn from all the different presenters and teachers and facilitators uh, is, is a really fantastic opportunity. I hope people take advantage of that. I mean, things you'll never find elsewhere. We got a chance to look at Chinese moon blocks. And how cool would that cat? I know you, you're as a divination mm-hmm. nerd like myself. You and I were both very excited about it. I mean, there was, there was a really cool, and Nagashiva was uh, w- going step-by-step step through the process and actually uh, of that workshop. It was really cool seeing the paper talisman that was being made. Um, that, that's, that's great. That's such a fantastic. You really can't find a workshop like that, paper talismans and Chinese moon blocks anywhere else. Yeah. Beside things like hex magic and curses and crosses by our own Papa G or your own an effort drop, which was so cool because you got a chance to see it, the world approach, the global folklore, global folk magic approach to dolls. But then it went really in-depth on the different types of dolls, how to use them. Um, you don't really see this kind of mixture and combination well-balanced in any other festival or workshop, and I've been a part of you know, several. So it was a very fun one. Thank you to everyone who came out. Thank you to everyone who helped put it on. And I hope that people take advantage of the chance to catch it if they missed it this year. Yeah, it was great. And um, there were so many interesting things. Ramona Scott, um, who's a new member of AIR, um, did a wonderful workshop on medicinal herbs, healing with herbs, how to make teas. Mm -hmm. It was really, really great. Um, Clifford, our own announcer, Clifford Lowe, did an absolutely amazing talk on lodestones and how to use them for many ways. It was at the Crossroads panel, which was just great. All of these different oh, crossroads, three-way yeah. crossroads, railroad crossroads, everything. It was just amazing um, African traditions of the crossroads and pagan traditions. It was amazing uh, type of, of uh, panel, everyone bringing their own information to it. And, um, yeah, we just, it was just one thing after another. There were 10 workshops, so I can't even name them all. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really good. And we do this every year, one way or another. And if you missed it, um, sorry about that, but you will be able to, within the next little short while, and we'll announce it here, you will be able to buy tickets for the video version. And you'll get a goodie box sent to you in the mail. And the goodie boxes have about a hundred dollar value in products. I'd say more than a hundred dollar value in products. Oh yeah, more, more, absolutely more. And um, yeah, it was just a just phenomenal. So um, and oh, and I just have to give a little shout out to Reverend James's goodie box, which was like the the surprise within the surprise within the surprise. Oh, I love <laughs> it. it just yeah. was, it just kept on going. It was like so cool with those moon blocks and the paper talismans. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give it all away because you have to watch him say, "Oh, and by the way, when you, you know, it's just like it was." And there's another was, level. Yeah, I know. It was another level to it. It was so, so cool. Yeah, that was really yeah. great. Um, yeah. So um, thank you, everyone who came out. It was really nice to see old friends and uh, make new friends. So, well, today we have a, a somewhat old friend here, <laughs> Cousin Joshua. Um, 
Cousin Joshua has been a student of my Hoodoo Root Work Correspondence Course, graduated, came to the apprenticeships. I got to know him. And unlike a lot of urban hoodoo practitioners, he's really old school. He's a gardener, and he grows his own herbs. And that's why we have the topic of um, gardening with magical herbs. But before we get to the topic, let's say hello to Cousin Joshua. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. It's so good to to be here with y'all, and um, I love hearing about the festival, and I'm delighted to hear about the makeup. I was actually driving across country from the state of Massachusetts back to Georgia the two days of the, the Saturday and Sunday of the festival. So um, I've been back about a week, and I'm delighted to hear about that, and I'm definitely going to take Papa G up on a festival makeup and snatch a goodie box for those books. That sounds fantastic. Um, yeah, it, I think you'll like it. I think you will. But things in Georgia and Atlanta are pretty good. They're, you know, uh, I'm excited about today's topic, and uh, and I appreciate that picture of the comb flowers. Uh, uh, I did comb flowers are one of my favorite things to grow. Samson snake root, um, as it's known amongst practitioners. But yeah, I try to grow a fair amount of my herbs. I, I do still order quite a bit, and from Lucky Mojo and buy some from a local. Botanica or health food store near me. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I just want to talk about this. I know a lot of um, magical practice is um, ordering things, and, and of course, there's a huge history of pharmacies, and, and that has been the way people have gotten products. But um, as we, you know, uh, care for the earth and think about our relationship for the earth um, and just a way to be in the world, I started growing my own herbs um, when I bought my house and I moved out of a condo. But interesting, Miss Kat, I was taking your course, and it was homework number four, or uh, the herb the herb homework. I forget which lesson it was. Um, number six. And that was number six. Thank you. Um, and I was trying to grow it in containers at the condominium pool. <laughs> um <laughs> in order to make that homework work, um, and, it, and it didn't work that great. Um, but for once I moved into my home and was able to plant some stuff um, that I could keep closer to me, and we'll talk about that a little bit, um, that's when I started having some success with it. So I'm really excited about today's topic. My goal is to make it accessible for folks, even if you do live in a condo or can only have access to a container or two. Um, I think that's okay. I think it's actually great. I think it's a great way to express um, the desire to work with these plant spirits and these plant friends that are really here to help us. So I'm really excited about today. Well, you know, this is something I'd like to just say a couple of words before I turn you loose on the topic. Um, I wrote a book called Hoodoo Urban Root Magic, and my main goal with that book, I wrote that back in... um, 2002, my main goal with that book was to help urban practitioners who remembered the names of plants but didn't know what they looked like, uh, to help them navigate what was sometimes fraudulent sales methods in which people would just throw any old herb in a bag and, um, and call it any other herb. And some herbs are rarer than others, and they would sell for you know, five times as much per pound or ten times as much per pound. And the idea was that, well, uh, people who practice African-American 
folk magic must be poor and they must not be educated and we're just going to give them green for green and brown for brown if it's a root we'll give them anything brown and if it's an herb we'll give them anything green and i saw some of the most fraudulent horrific stuff go on so one of the reasons i wrote the book i did and um, the way i did was to put the taxonomic names the latin binomials of the names in so that you could actually know what herb you were buying and i'm very pleased to say that that had a twofold effect first of all people actually began to ask by name and they became familiar with the idea that these plants have a kind of what we might call their legal name and their street name and their legal name their latin name that's the one you can get the right plant if you get the right name for it and the common names or street names of the plants vary and more than one person will have the same common name and you know there's so many people named bob and there's so many plants named (laughs) snake root right dozens Mm -hmm. on they're not the same plant so that was my goal in writing that book but the other effect which i did not know would happen was that people began to write and correspond with me my good students really became interested in growing the herbs and that has been a wonderful benefit to not just those people but to the entire magical community, the hoodoo community, as well as the pagan magic community and other um, people you know, from other different magical traditions have benefited from knowing that they can grow their own plants. So that's my little intro to this. Um, now, there are different ways to look at plant magic. Some people want to use the plants fresh. Some people want the entire garden to be enchanted. And there are people who also want to learn how to grow and dry plants and even maybe sell them. So I'm going to turn this loose to Joshua. You talk about what you want to talk about, and Conjurman and I will jump in when we can. Well, sure. I, I think the last thing you said is pretty phenomenal. And, of course, as a who I am, I'm like, any of it, all of it, yes to all of that. Um, one of the things that I think is really critical is as workers, we invite these plants into our lives and into our, some of our most fervent, some of our most secret prayers. I mean, if you've been doing this work for 10, 20, 20 years, longer, um, even less, the, the work we do with these herbs is really kind of intimate, um, and it can be quite powerful if we start to think of them as beings who had an existence in the world because other people took the time to love them and care for them. Um, I think it can really add a layer of meaning to our magical work and our magical practice. And I don't want to get too poetic with that, but, you know, um, when you get an herb from Lucky Mojo, it's been prepared and probably blessed by hands that have also lit candles at the candle, right? Like these if we start, if we think of them not just as products in the stream of commerce, but as living beings whose whose ancestors worked with our ancestors to heal, to bless, to curse, um, we really start to to think of them. I think as in relationship. I think that's what gardening about is about. Is really about noticing these plants, these little beings that you've invited into your life. Um, noticing maybe what they need, when they're dry, how they're leaning towards the sun, uh, if, they're unha- if they're unhappy after too much rain, you kind of notice that, 
maybe think about relocating them to a higher place in your yard next year, that kind of thing. It's about, I think, looking at relationships. So, Ms. Kat, when you say, you know, is it about cutting and drying them, um, yes. Can it also be about planting a hedge, you know, of um, figs and rosemaries along your front path as, as a way to protect um, and shield the house from negativity? Yes. Um, is it also just maybe having um, a rosy Um you know, or or a potted plant, um, a cactus, or an aloe, perhaps, um, and just working with that. Perhaps, you know, there's so many ways to do this. It, it's almost hard to get our arms around. But I'll give a couple examples of of things that I do. Um, when I started, I really started uh, with perennials because they come back, um, and I think it's okay to be a little lazy when you're first starting. Um, and not have to go through a bunch of, you know, growing seeds for a whole garden every year. A lot of herbs are perennials. Um, I'm thinking of the verbenas, the mints, um, rosemary, um, coneflower. You know, there's so many. And then, of course, some trees here and there. So I think it's good if you're just getting started out. Um, there's a lot of resources out there, kind of like with magic or folklore, you can get overwhelmed. Um, and the work I have planned for today is to is just going to be really simple just to get started with it. But I don't want people to be intimidated. I think that if you can use a plant in a cell um, or some herbs in a cell, you can certainly work with a plant in a pot or in your yard or um, at a community garden or something like that. So my goal today is really to give people permission to give it a shot to work with the plants while they're, um, while they're in the earth. Um, and the great thing about developing this kind of thing is you get to be in charge of what kind of garden you have. Um, you can pick plants that you like to cut their flowers and put on your altars. I do that with a few of my altars. Um, you can pick plants that you really enjoy working with or that, you know, for folks who are really interested in particular types of work, like love work or protection work, they can start with those plants that they work with the moon and kind of go from there. Um, so those are the kinds of things I think about when I think about magical gardening. Of course, there is a lot of the gardening aspect of it is, is people have to think about that and maybe are a little challenged by it. The magical aspects, I think, will come to most people who are doing this work. For instance, if you grow bay leaves like I do, um, it's a real simple tree. It, it's growing straight up now. Um, I choose when I harvest it. Um, and so if I want to do sort of the old school astrological days of the week and the planetary hours, I could choose to harvest it in the hour of the sun on the day of the sun if that's the kind of work that I'm doing for success um, for something like that. And that, so there's lots of ways to work magic into a garden. Um, I think the important thing is to kind of think about an easy way for an individual to start. And I have two suggestions for that. One I already said is I think it's a great idea to start with a perennial because it'll come back. You don't <laughs> you don't have to fuss with it or replant it. Um, and then the second thing, and this is true for all gardening, and I think it might be true for most relationships. If you're going to care for something, put it close to you. 
And what I mean by that is most gardeners and permaculturists will tell you that you want your garden within your within sight and preferably within walking, like something you walk by every day. And the reason for that is if you see it, you're going to be able to know what it is. You can see it's maybe wilting a little, might need a little water, maybe it's somewhat too hot. You can see if it's falling over, it may need to be staked. So one, one sort of primary thing we think about in gardening and working with our plant friends is we want to be able to see them so we know when they need our help or when they need something from us. So th- those are my two best pieces of starting advice for this. Well, I agree with all of that, and uh, I just wanted to add something about um, not necessarily having to start plants from seed, although many people do, but there are a lot of plants that are sold as what are called bedding plants or four-inch color. At least that's what they call them around here in California. Do you know that term back there, four-inch color? I've never, I haven't heard that here. No, ma'am. Oh, really? Oh, my God, there's little signs outside of every nursery, four-inch color. Um, Four-inch color means that they they started a plant, um, usually they put three seeds in, in a four-inch pot, plastic, not a round pot, but you know those little square pots that are in a flat. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. And then they they kind of they they let them grow and they get a little root bound, but they start to bloom or almost bloom, and then they put out these flats out front and invite people to buy four inch color. Well, it so happens that many of the things that are available as four inch color happen to also be magical plants. Now mm-hmm. they won't be necessarily a perennials because usually they would pop those up to a 12 inch and charge you a gallon, you know, or something, mm-hmm. and you're going to be paying for a gallon pot, and then you got to put it in the ground. But four-inch color contains many things that can be used, and you'll also find four-inch culinary herbs that way. And you can buy them started. And basil is a real popular one here in California. There are a lot of Italian people, and they love basil. And there are so many things. If you go down to your nursery, I don't like. They don't call it four-inch color. They'll call it something. You know what I'm talking about, Joshua? I know but exactly they put out what the... you're talking about. I just, I, for some reason, I can't think what we call it here. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm giggling because I've never heard the term four-inch color. But yeah, um, these are typically we have parsley here like that. Like you, you're right about there being a lot of culinary herbs. Some of which, like parsley, can do fine in the winter. You know, depending upon what zone. But in here in Georgia, in the in the south zones, you know, seven through nine, whatever you want to think, parsley typically, you know, will do okay um, for part of the winter. Usually comes back, or will, um, you know, it it usually does okay in a winter garden here. Um, mm-hmm. No, no, exactly what you're talking about. I've never heard it called a four-inch color, but I can't think of what we call them. But, uh, yeah, they're just in little trays. Oftentimes we have a little piece of tape that holds, like, the four or the six together, and you just pick them up. And, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. We have yeah, a lot of times here there'll be marigolds. Um, there'll be mm-hmm. um, little little starts of anything brightly colored petunias. Uh, around here we get four-inch violets and, and Johnny jump-ups and all that kind of stuff that's, you know, works well around here in this four inch pots and there yeah. I mean there's nothing quite like you know getting a whole flat of four inch Johnny jump ups. I mean my gosh, it's such a treat and you didn't have to start them. And they yeah. come back too. So it's just kind of a cool way to buy plants, that's all. 
Yeah, and you know, Ms. Kent, you said something that kind of touched upon something I had in my notes, and that's, you know, you're in Northern California, and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and so even the plants that are available in our nurseries are going to depend on our environment. The, the folks at the nurseries are not going to sell. <laughs> they're not going to set the plants up or sell plants that aren't mm-hmm. typically going to do what, you know, so I may not, the, our nurseries here in Atlanta, Georgia, are, may not offer precisely the same things as Northern California just because, you know, we're headed into uh, fall and, and the winter. Um, and, and this is, I think, important for one of the reasons I love gardening, I love and I don't, you know, is because it really ties us to place. When you garden, you start to notice things like, oh, the days are getting, I mean, people generally notice when the days are getting longer and, and things like that. But when you're gardening, you really notice, like, we've had rain three times this week. Um, we haven't had any rain this week. Um, you mm-hmm. notice the moon more. You just notice these things, and you start to realize when hummingbirds show up to your area, if, if you haven't before. Um, and mm-hmm. you start to realize when you see the first mother bees come out from hibernation in winter. Um, mm-hmm. And I think these things are really important. Um, and, and honestly, I can't speak too intelligently about it. My, grand, my grandfather knew it, but unfortunately I didn't. I didn't learn it from him, and I, I regret that. But there are particular ways to plant according to the sun. So, um, when the in astrology, when the when the uh, I think I don't know if it was by moon signs or what, but I, I just remember him hearing him say once, "You got to plant your beans in the sign of the arms, so they'll reach reach up and grow tall, but mm-hmm. like arms do." And you know, a lot of Gardening is tied to seasonality and cycles. And so there's a real power when you start to notice the patterns of place and how the – I'm reticent to say energy. When I was thinking about this topic, what I kept coming to was spirit. I, I know we're all different mm-hmm. differently. But I, I know a lot of times people say the energy of Jupiter or, you know, the energy of this. And I'm really – stuck on that a little bit because I think for me, I always want to say spirit instead because mm-hmm. I think we're, I think we can relate with and work with spirits. But when we say energy, sometimes I get a little like, I mean, it's not, you know, do I turn on a light? I don't know. It, it feels like a more utilitarian um, process. Whereas when I think about gardening and the cycles of things and the spirits and the ebb and flow, of rain and sunshine and then these plants that give us these roots that we then put in a healing mojo for a dear friend. I just mm-hmm. keep coming back to the word spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit here. Um, there was a question in the chat. What kind of soil and sunlight will I need for a balcony garden? And um, the uh, uh, the uh, every time I have tried, I have never been able to grow herbs. Well, let's talk for a minute about uh, plants having different needs. Most herbs that we grow as culinary herbs are Mediterranean in their origin. Then they are aromatic and they tend to dry well because they come from a dryish environment. So they would like sun and they would like a nice loose soil 
And you can just about rest assured that there are very few herbs that will grow in shade. They just don't like it because they're Mediterranean plants. Not a lot of tree cover overhead. Depends. You said a balcony garden, but you didn't say is your balcony on the east, south, west, or north of the building. If it's on the north of the building, the only thing you'll be able to grow is some deep woods ferns, maybe some mm-hmm. mushrooms. But if it's on the south, you're going to have to be very careful that things don't get too dried out if they're in pots, and you might need a little larger pot. If it's on the east, that's nice. It'll get a nice morning sun. If it's on the west, that's nice. It'll get a nice western sun, but that can be a little hot. So you have to pick your plants. Roses, for instance, don't like growing in pots very much at all. They need a way disproportionately large pot. They just don't dig it. They don't like pots. You can grow them in pots for sure, and they sell them in pots, but they don't last long in pots compared to being in the ground. But there are other things that will do very well in pots. You can grow onions in pots, for instance, very successfully, and other food things like carrots if you wanted to. And so it depends on on where they come from in the world and what their native environment would be. So I hope that answered your question. Ah, she said thank you. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk for a minute about laying out an enchanted garden. What do you have to say about that, Joshua? Sure. Well, um, I decided uh, to lay out mine. uh, Mine's piecemeal. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I started with some rosemary that, that was the starting with pruning and it's an evergreen, so it's kind of tough and we have very mild winters here, so I knew it would be fine. Um, and then I started putting them where I thought they could go. I wasn't a very experienced gardener when I first began, so I made some mistakes and I really, I've underlined that I made mistakes twice in my notes because I really want people to hear that, um, Mistakes were made, are made, can be made, um, and it's unfortunate when it happens, but that's why we have compost. Um, it can go into the compost, and then it can later be part of another plant cycle and growth and things like that. But uh, to answer your question, Ms. Kat, I began with rosemary. I had a bit of a shady spot with some sunlight. I was skeptical, um, but I wanted it near my front door, and it actually did pretty well. It got more sun than I thought it would. Um, and th- that goes to my earlier note about kind of observing, right, being in the, having a sense of place. And, you know, a place that gets a lot of sun in February when there's not a lot of leaves on the trees, depending on your climate, maybe not will have a lot of sun once all the leaves on your 90-year-old oak grow in and then, then you're in a pickle and you have to think about it. But subsequently, um, I got some rue from um, an, a, a, a kind of a – well-known Atlanta witch queen in the Wiccan tradition. Um, she had passed that this was rue from one of her rue, one of her rue plants that someone had, and he gave it to me. Um, and I started planting all along the south side. So I have a couple different beds with different types of things in them. I have a shady bed um, that gets a little more moisture. It stays a little wetter because it's not in sun. And that has had some angelica, some marshmallow, there's a Solomon seal root in there that occasionally survives the rabbit and chipmunk attack. Um, it, he comes and goes. I, I swear, I think he moves around in the bed. Um, and then I have a different bed for those herbs that enjoy a lot of sunshine. I have mugwort, yarrow. Um, I have irises all about. Cause they, and then I have um, some rue, 
different so I have different beds in different locations because um, in Georgia we have, especially in Atlanta, we are not allowed to cut down trees. <laughs> and I, I mean that. You have to literally get a special permit to cut down any tree in the city. Um, so we are a city amongst trees. Um, people who come to visit us here, um, I had a friend from California visit. She said it's like you live on indoor with the Ewoks um, because there are so many trees. So we have to <laughs> find spots of sunlight. Um, you know, earlier I was talking about you can pick herbs that you use regularly. Yes, after you read about them and figure out where precisely they need to go. So along the south side of my house is where I have a moonflower hut and a flower garden and a sunny herb garden, some figs, most of the coneflowers, all along that. So I don't necessarily have limited sunlight. I have to be a bit opportunistic about where I put things. Um, and, and that's principally what drives my growth right, my plan right now. Um, and, the, and, you know, going on with mistakes were made, things happen. Uh, lightning struck my 90-plus-year-old oak tree in the front of my house, um, and we did as much as we could to save it. But unfortunately, um, she is dying or in a dying process, and I will have an entire front yard bathed in sunlight um, after she's sadly taken down. So things change in the garden. Um, circumstances change, and you have to adapt. And mm-hmm. that is kind of what I mean about permission slips. To, to your point about, you know, roses don't enjoy pots. Um, no plant enjoys the darkness. <laughs> um, you know, right. There are just physical things we have to contend with. Um, and, and answering the, the question in the chat, the north side of my house, it's funny you said ferns, is nothing but ferns and Linton roses. Um, I have mm-hmm. a small bit on the north side, and that's what I know could grow there, so that's what I put there. Um, so a lot of it is driven just by what's possible and what will give them the setting them up for their life and success. I don't know. <laughs> but making mm-hmm. sure, you know, I don't want to put them in a place they're not going to be happy. Um, and if I see and observe them, going back to my earlier statement about making sure you can interact with them, if I see that they're not doing well, I try to figure out how to how to put them in a place where they can do a little bit better. Those are generally. Well, you 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 about. mentioned ferns, and I just have to say something. We're here under the shade of redwood trees, and we have it's just a natural fern area. And we have so many ferns. And when I moved here, I thought, oh, this is great because ferns are used magically to prevent accidents and to keep people from, you know, stealing from your house and stuff. And I would just, like, you know, cut cut ferns and, and uh, pack them up. And, like, I finally got to the point where I had to give ferns away, dried fern away for free. Nobody would even order it. They didn't get how good it was. And I, at this point, it's very sad to me. I just have to throw, you know, when trimming up the ferns and things like that, I have to throw them in the compost. And I'm like, damn, I guess wish you guys would order more ferns because really we have (laughs) the (laughs) ideal growing environment for ferns. We also um, find around here, we grow a lot of roses, but um, we find that some roses will take more sun and some less. But the only roses you can dry for uh, use in uh, selling and magic have to be either red or very dark pink. If you try to dry the white roses or yellow roses, they just turn kind of a parchment tan and they don't look very pretty. 
Now, another thing about an enchanted garden I want to talk about is the idea of a theme uh, garden. A night-blooming mm. garden is something that used mm. to be um, uh, quite the envy of the Victorian gardeners, to make a beautiful garden that just blooms, all the flowers bloom at night, like jasmine and so forth. And I look at your um, moonflower and... Um, you're, tell us about that. That moonflower hut is amazing. That is something that just makes my little heart go pity pat. Well, thank you. Um, the moonflowers are an eponia. Um, so mm-hmm. they're related to morning glories, except mm-hmm. that you should, we should probably call them night glories. Um, mm-hmm. They are uh, annual vines. Um, they're subtropical. And uh, thanks to climate change, they seem to love Georgia. Um they do require a bit of water, but I started growing them, um, going back to community. Um, a dear family friend's mother always grew them, um, and she was an incredible gardener. I mean, she could things literally would grow around her, I swear, as she walked by them. But um, she passed away, and one of the things she loved was moonflowers. So her children gave everyone um, that knew her, and just a whole bags full of moonflowers, seeds. And so um, I was one of the folks that got some, and we started planting them. And I didn't, I realized after how they grew, I could put stakes in the ground and grow a little hut out, like I could make a little structure, and they would grow up it and around it. They do bloom at night. Um, it's very fleeting. It's a one-night-only show for each bloom. It's it, it twists and un- unfurls, kind of like an umbrella, but it, but it twists open. Um, and they're they're pretty big. They're white. Um, to your point about night gardens, a lot of I think people put them in full moon gardens for that reason. Is you know, with all mm-hmm. these white flowers, it it just looks incredible in a full moon. Um, though it doesn't photograph well, <laughs> well at night, but they open at night. They have a a sense that's hard to describe, um, I would call it deep and beguiling. The pollinators, night pollinators like ants seem to love them. They just bloom for one night, and then in the morning, the bloom is kind of like a dead umbrella, <laughs> just hanging over <laughs> clothes. Um, and then you wear, I generally leave the, the flowers alone for a couple days after a bloom, because where that bloom was will be the, the next seed pod. Um, but I constructed the hut, um, and I will, where possible, do readings for folks inside the hut. I've had a few people um, come and get readings there. Um, I, I like to work outside when it's not terribly hot in Georgia, which isn't a whole lot. But um, <laughs> and I read from the moonflowers. You know, I, I I don't know of official like canon use of moonflower, but um, in my relationship with the vine. Um, I, it's beguiling. It's, it looks like a full moon. It reflects. It's very, to me, um, reading in a in a hut, a structure I built with vine, moonflower vines that I grew, gives me a sense that like I have deep insight. I'm deeply connected to the earth and its patterns. And I don't know. I get I get a lot out of it, and I enjoy sharing it with people. 
So that's a, that's uh, absolutely wonderful. I believe that's mm-hmm. worth making a pilgrimage um, when the moonflowers are in bloom to go get a reading from Joshua in the Moonflower Hut <laughs> in Georgia. Wow, that's a destination. Yeah. That's a vacation destination. <laughs> Fantastic. I wish I could yeah. make the trip. That reminds me of our um, forget-me-nuts. We have forget-me-nuts here. Um, they're not native to California, but somebody mm. sprinkled seeds around our property probably in the 1890s, and they're a biennial. We talked about annuals. We talked about perennials. Mm-hmm. These are a biennial. And each little flower just blooms for one day, but they have a long, a curled, scorpionic kind of spiral, and it just unfolds, bip, 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 one flower at a time, and so each day there'll be maybe three flowers, one fading, one on, and one just about to open. These are tiny little forget-me-not flowers, they're pretty and blue, and the little unopened buds are pink, and then they turn blue, and then they fall off. But if you people want to pick them, they make a mistake because uh, you won't get the seeds because it takes the seeds about two weeks after the flower has gone to develop. So you end up with these long, dead-looking spirals, right, which have kind of uncurled. Mm-hmm. And people go, what did you do? You didn't, you didn't pick your forget-me-nuts. No, you can't because you need the seeds for two years from now. And they reseed themselves. And biennials are fascinating Usually the first year they make a rosette, next year they make their flowers. And the other biennial we have here that is naturalized is mullen. And the first year it looks like, um, oh, a beautiful, like a, a rosette, giant leaves that are fuzzy and gray and very perfect looking. And people always say, oh, cut those mullen leaves, they're so beautiful. Well, if you cut them, then they don't make energy to go into the root to last over for the next year and it will never put up a good stock so the first year you just have to watch them and just go aren't you cute the next year is when you can start picking the mullen leaves mm-hmm. 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 And, the, and the lesson there is that knowing like seeing that cycle knowing it allows you that insight that you know we can't pick this if we want, <laughs> if we want the cycle to continue, we don't need to intervene here. Maybe we can pick a couple of these. Um, and, you know, this brings up one thing I did want to mention, Ms. Kat, is the, the apprenticeship. The, um, I think it was week one the, about herbs. I, I get the weeks a little mixed up. But, um, you know, uh, Ms. Kat teaches folks or her apprentices how to harvest, how, how to work with the plant and look at it to know where not you can harvest the plants, but it, you can only take so much and only in certain areas. Um, and I think that, that that comes from knowledge, that comes from experience and observation. Um, and not many people know that anymore, mm-hmm. I don't think. That's right. That's right. It's uh, People don't understand biennials, I've noticed. It's, it takes a little bit of living in a garden to get that, what a biennial is. Mm-hmm. And there are some plants that are um, perennials, but they only fruit biennially. There's mm-hmm. some apples, for instance, that only make a good crop every other year. And right. so you just have to wait. And walnuts also will sometimes skip a year, and the next year is heavy, and then they skip again, just a few walnuts. So plants have all of these strategies to reproduce that you need to know about. And you can read about it online, or you can make friends with your neighbors, and they'll tell you. 
but there's a there's a certain cycle or pattern to this kind of work. Um, also, with the climate change, I want to mention that we've been having difficult times with the drought out here, and um, it's very rough going. We've been unable to really plant a big garden. Our, our water supply is so limited, and uh, we've been watching things suffer because of it. It makes mm-hmm. us very sad, but even the trees around here are suffering. And so just to put in a good word for there's no more water. You can't, I mean, there's nowhere for it to come from. And so um, we need to, as a people, as a species, we need to learn to curb our enthusiasm for reproduction and have fewer children and hope we can get back to a balance with the earth because we're not balanced right now. And there's too many people, and they all want water, and that leaves no water for the plants or for the animals. So just grumpy old cat saying, before you have that third child, why not just stop and consider <laughs> um, birth control, please? No, I, I mean, being growing plants in earnest, planting seeds, you know, clearing space for perennials, um, whatever it is, I don't think you can do it for very long before you realize how central and important the structures or cycles are, and it doesn't take long before you can actually see with your own eyes, wow, I, mm-hmm. there's less lightning bugs this year. Is that because mm-hmm. my neighbors are spraying for mosquitoes? Um, mm-hmm. You know, is that because there wasn't enough leaf mulch for them to reproduce? And that's, you know, um, the, you can see these effects. And um, I don't want to get too heavy on it, but, it, you know, we have to acknowledge these patterns just like we do as readers when we get bad cars or you have a poorly aspected planet, you got to say what it is, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there is that element to this work. I think that's why it's so important. I think if people can fall in love with our world, our plants, the, the things in it, um, when you garden, you also create habitat. Um, and you realize that, yeah, ants are not any fun when they're biting you, but gosh, they're great for a garden. They aerate the roots. They keep the soil loose. Um, and the, there's no better friend in a garden than an ant. You just want to avoid putting your hand in the hill. Um, mm-hmm. And you start to learn, you really start to see things fit together in a way. I, I did anyway. I guess I can't speak for everyone, but doing it, I really started to see the world fit together better, and it made a lot more sense. Um, but you also see, you know, there's work to be done. There's things we need to think about around the decisions we make, for sure. All right, I want to touch on one more subject because we're kind of, um, you know, Winding this up. Um, can I just say people something? People always ask me how to. What? What'd you say? Can Can I just say something real quick? Because we're running out of time, and I haven't jumped in yet. Oh yes. <laughs> Before we move on to the next topic, I, you got you're kind of a motor race there of conversation. I was, I was waiting for an opportunity to interrupt, but yeah, cycles are incredibly important here. Part of the reason why I, I encourage people to start a garden, whether you're living in a rural area. Or an urban garden. Most of us live in the city and we may not have access to, you know, a large plot of land and your balcony gardens. These are all entirely possible. I've had a kitchen garden and balcony garden for ages. Every time I've moved, I've had to move it with me. 
but it, it, it's important. One of the reasons for you back to natural cycles. These are the cycles of the moon, the cycles of the sun, when things get planted, when things don't get planted, when you harvest, when they bloom. You start to pick that up. This is very much about practical learning. You can learn as much as you want. You can learn as much as you want from a friend. But at some point, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to put your hands into the dirt. And things will go, your plants will die. And you'll have to replant. And that's okay because you start to develop the skill. You start to develop and get an understanding of it doesn't look quite right. Mm, I need to water it a little bit. I need to water a lot less. I remember when I first started, I overwatered plants because I thought that they would be dried out so quickly. And I had to learn what the balance was. When certain plants require a little bit of spritz daily, others require it once a week. You know, you start to learn and build that habit. This is part of building that rhythm. That rhythm is you connecting to the natural world. That rhythm is you connecting to the plant world. That you That is you connecting to uh, the movement of the sun and the moon. These things all connect you. And the more connected you are to nature, and the more connected you are to the plants, and the more connected you are to the rhythm, the more you understand how to draw on that power. They become allies. If you have a very powerful plant ally in the house, chances of you having to do a lot of protection and uncrossing work diminishes greatly because the plant itself will protect you. There's a reason why in hoodoo we say if basil is in the kitchen, evil will not enter into the home because mm-hmm. basil will guard you. Basil will protect you. It will keep evil and disruptions away. And so this is how you build that. If you have a strong relationship with a particular tree, you'll find a very similar thing, that harm will not come to your home or your property because the tree will protect you. You build that spiritual connection. You build that spiritual power. I'm also going to add in here and really echo what Cousin Joshua said. The knowledge of astrology is very, very useful. I think people forget that astrology, as it emerges, is deeply seasonal. It's not constellational. That may have been the Babylonian era. But horoscopic astrology or astrology that's related to the horoscopes is this astrology of seasons. There's a reason why the zodiac starts with Aries, the vernal equinox. So the seasons here matter. And understanding that astrological knowledge, for example, knowing to plant in the first mansion of the moon is very common. Shariatan is considered a blessed mansion for planting of the seed. But the second mansion, Plutan, is considered to be a bad mansion. So you don't plant seeds there because the plant will grow corrupt. And others use the movement of the moon through the sign. So there's a variety of different ways you can tap into timing and the cycles. And the more you do so, the more you'll find a foundation, a spiritual foundation of power and wisdom. Yeah, I that's that's really good advice to understand um, planting by the moon, planting by the sun signs. Papa G said plant after tax day. That's very common in the uh, southern Midwest. Mm-hmm. They plant after tax day. Um, that's where their cycle is. We plant a lot earlier here in in um, California. Um, and um, Signy DC says the farmer's almanac is a good resource. Absolutely, and there. Uh, yeah. You, there's nothing quite like the old farmer's almanac. Um, another thing we were talking about before the show started I'd like to bring up, which is that we're talking about this in fall. And fall is generally, you know, the time where we start to harvest everything and people are like, well, how can I, what can I plant now? It's all over for the year. 
So I'd like to, to bring in um, Customer Joshua to talk a little bit about it. I'm going to talk about my favorite things to plant in fall are irises. And uh, there's no better place to get irises from than Shriners Gardens. So just don't even think about going anyplace else because it's useless. And um, if you type it in on Facebook, they'll put it in the algo and you'll see it twice or three times a day because now is the season to buy irises. And also other perennial bulbs. I like to buy from Brex. Wayside Gardens is really nice, but it's more expensive. But uh, Joshua, what do you think about what can be planted in fall, the bulbs and the roots that can be planted now for spring? Well, so I think planting in the fall, again, it goes to pattern cycle place. Um, A lot of places, as long as you plant a few weeks, like probably four to six weeks before your first frost, um, some herbs I like to plant. These uh, sage is a good herb to plant in the fall. Rosemary, um, chives actually. Um, I think lavender does okay, but I, I uh, um, and mint is just if you're willing to entertain mint and have it take over your life, um, it'll do fine if you plant it in the fall. And one of the benefits of planting in the fall. You know, a lot of gardeners' seed catalogs are already out. I've already gotten my seed catalogs for fall. Um, But a lot of planning happens in the fall because there's not much work to do outside. And if you plant now, um, you'll have beautiful sage flowers. Um, And you can use sage. And, you know, you already have it for next spring. You won't be starting with a small plant. It'll overwinter nicely. Its roots will develop, you know, for a little while. It'll go dormant, and then the moment it, it kind of comes back, it wakes back up um, as the sun starts to shine more in the spring, you don't have to worry about root shock because it's already in the ground, and you're going to have a beautiful herb to work with in the spring. So there is a big benefit to, to working with some of these herbs in the fall. Um, I do love splitting up rhizomes and planting them, <laughs> like irises, and planting them, uh, spreading them around and, and planting them in the fall. Um, coneflower, actually, um, Samson snake root does fine if you plant it in the fall. And then, again, you'll have beautiful flowers come spring without doing too much work. Yeah, and I, I'm going to say there's a few other things that are just wonderful to have. Uh, I mean, I I went crazy once and decided I was going to grow all my own um uh, crocuses, autumn crocuses, so I could pick my own saffron. <laughs> well, I picked a few saffrons, but I, I ended up buying my saffron from Spain and Morocco, just like everyone else does. But it was nice to have them in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another thing about fall is it's um, a good time to take stock of what's going to need replacement, something that didn't do well, figure mm. out what's going to go in that place. It's a good time to, um, uh, you know, start thinking about when they go dormant, where you're going to prune, and how you're going to train them for the for the shrubs and the perennials. But also, fall is a nice time. You can always grow um, a little, you know, a little crop of uh, culinary herbs, which you can use at Magic, because those are available almost all year round. Someone's starting them under grow lamps somewhere in America sometime. And um, another thing I want to say is about harvesting and drying. If you are into magical herbs, you ought to get yourself a dehydrator. And you can get those little cheap circular plastic dehydrators. They don't cost much. You can buy them on Amazon. They have five or six trays. Not the best because they are plastic, 
but still they are very, very cheap. If you can really spring for one, get a metal dehydrator. But, you know, those plastic ones will last for a number of seasons. I've had them last for, you know, 15 years before they finally give up the ghost. And uh, you can also, of course, dry your herbs by tying them and hanging them upside down or putting them over some heat somewhere. Don't put them in the oven. Don't bake them. Don't cook them. If you have a very few herbs, you can kind of give them a couple of little bursts in the microwave, but just little short bursts, 15-second bursts, and you're wasting electricity, and you can't bulk dry herbs that way. But if it's an emergency, you can always use your microwave. So, But a, a good little dehydrator from Amazon or any of the electronic outlets will be serve you well. I just want to put a plug in for people drying their own herbs. That's exactly the one that I use. I just use one of the El Cheapo ones from Amazon, the little tray plastic ones, little round plastic ones you were speaking of, and it's done fine for the past four or five years. Yeah. Um, The the cheapest ones do not have an on-off switch in the line cord, and you have to plug them in or unplug them. Spring for the extra money to get a little on-off switch in the line because it's so much easier. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. And I do like to store my herbs in glass containers versus plastic ones. Um, I I don't know. I I don't think it probably makes too much of a difference, but I find I just I save a lot of glass containers. It's a way I can reuse them, and it sort of helps keep a commitment to have a little less plastic uh, in the world. Yes, I I think it does make a difference because plastic is off-gassing and I I just Mm -hmm. don't want that in my herbs. And if they are culinary herbs, that's toxic and so let's just not. Glass is very safe, proven safe. So is porcelain, which is just a glass surface over clay. Either one of those. Some people like you know, old-fashioned porcelain pots because no light gets in. But I like a glass jar, put it in a cupboard and close the door. No light gets in Mm -hmm. that way either. Yeah, that's very important. Um, the the big metal dehydrators are really good if you're going to be doing a mass harvest. They have ten trays usually, and they're big and square, and they're, they have a controllable thermometer temperature control. And they also you can hook them up to a timer. You have to do your own thing with that. But if you have a timer on them, you can just let them go overnight, and then go out in the morning, and the herbs are all done. I I like that, but they cost. You know, you really, if you want to sell herbs, get yourself a big square cubicle metal dehydrator. So, well, I hope that this has inspired people um, to start thinking about growing their own herbs. If nothing else, start growing some herbs in pots. And um, and if you have a balcony and you want to know uh, more about what to grow on your balcony. First of all, determine what direction your balcony is facing, and then get online and ask balcony growers what will grow on which side of the building. All right. Well, it's time for our client. So let's uh, have Clifford talk to us. All right. Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California and located online at luckymojo.com. And by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line, run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call one 888 4 or visit hoodoopsychics.com. 
and by the Crystal Silence League of Free Online Prayer Service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to today's client. Our caller is Dom Christ, calling from area code 510. Dom Christ, are you there? Yes, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, you said that your life partner's father is sick, and you think that his nurse is stealing from the family. He's overseas in the Middle East, so you can't get rid of him, but you need spiritual protection. All right. Um, turn it over to you, Ms. Kat. All right. Hi, Dom Chris. Um, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Um, what sign is the father? Do you know what sign of the zodiac? We think he's a Sagittarius. All right. Sagittarius is a fairly weak sign when it comes to protecting itself, so he definitely will need protection. Um, there, I just uh, throw this out for people. Cancerian people, Sagittarians, Pisceans, they need protection and help from their friends. Don't bother trying to protect the, the Tauruses or the Scorpios or the Capricorns. We all protect ourselves. But those are those signs do need help sometime. And uh, it's a good thing to be kind and work on their behalf. Um, Sagittarians are very smart, but they somehow don't have the deep endurance. All right, I'm going to do three cards here and see if this is true. Because first thing you said you think, and so I'm going to see whether I'm getting cards that indicate that is true. And in fact, I'm getting a card here called the Fool. And that is a card of someone who makes a mistake and is not paying attention. So, yes, there is something going on here. Um, there, You have received a warning. The card of the fool is about a warning that you might be stepping off a cliff or someone might be stepping off a cliff. Since I'm reading on behalf of this person, I think this person is not in a good place. They may, they're holding a little white rose and like, la-di-da and thinking everything is okay but it's not there is definitely a problem but if you warn them they may not even pay attention to the warning it's not a good card it's a a difficult card and the next card is um, another one that to me says that there is some problems i do think that there is some malpractice malfeasance theft something is going on that is not not good. So uh, this card is called the Five of Swords, and it shows somebody driving people away and collecting their swords. And some people, you know, walk away laughing, smiling, or just, oh, well, ho-hum, and others walk away crying. But the point here is that there is somebody who is actually actively trying to accumulate uh, those swords and harm someone not a good situation it's a card of active conflict and it can have physical repercussions and i would be concerned for the father's physical well-being as well as everything else that's going on is the nurse actually taking care not a good card and it's a card of conflict and difficulty and the third card is a card uh, that's a good card, and it indicates the form that protection might take. It's called the Ace of Pentacles, and it shows the hand of God holding a big coin or talisman in the hand in a garden. 
and it's funny we were talking about gardens today. So this garden is has lilies in it, and boy, if you've ever gardened, lilies are the prototypical plant that needs protection, because everything that eats plants will eat your lilies, deers and and gophers and you name it, they'll all eat the lily. And so this is a garden of protecting those lilies. These are people who cannot protect themselves. And it can be children, or it can be the aged, it can be the ill. And the garden is surrounded by a hedge of red flowering roses, and that those are very passionate and beautiful, but they also have thorns. And there's a, uh, an arch, and there's a path that leads out under that arch. I don't know whether this father is um, has a long-term illness, whether this is just a one-time thing and they'll soon get better, but it, it indicates that there might be some deeper problems here. But in any case, the protection is absolutely necessary. And a talisman would work. That could be a piece of jewelry or something of that nature. And I will let um, uh, Contraman uh, talk about that when we get to that. But the idea of a talisman or a seal or something like that is indicated with this card. And the swords card, being air, indicates prayer. So I'm now thinking of some sort of a, um enchanted talisman that could be sent and possibly uh, keeping a duplicate copy of it um, on your altar I sometimes, you know, do that so I can have a contact with the person when I send them a charm and I keep a copy of the same charm. So I'm not trying to tell what countryman is going to tell, but that's what my thought on it. And um, so the answer is yes, there is active enemy agency, and yes, protection is needed. So um, I'm going to turn this over to Cousin Joshua. Thank you, Miss Cat. Um, I think that was a fabulous reading, Dom Christ. Um, and I, I got. I'm going to be reading playing cards here. I've laid out three for you, um, and the first card is a bit concerning. It means that it means there's been a bit of trouble. Um, I'm a little concerned that you don't quite know how much trouble there's been. It's the Ace of Spades. When we see the Ace of Spades, we know that. There's been a, a big change, something important, um, and I'm a little concerned reading some, just looking at it, I'm getting the impression that it, it might be maybe a little worse than you think. I'm not trying to scare you. I, some other cards show a pathway out, but um, this confirms to me some of your concerns. Something is going on. It is probably not well. The next card we have um, is a little more helpful. We have the Nine of Hearts. And the way I read this card is that it means that things are going to get better. They can get better, and they probably will get better. When we get the Nine of Hearts, we also sometimes wonder about a change of heart. So even though this reading is for you, I have to wonder about this this bad actor. Perhaps there was a mistake, and maybe there's been a change of heart. I'm not entirely convinced about that. I would prefer to read this card as things are going to improve for you. Um, I, it's, I think that when we look at the Nine of Hearts, we have to know that there's a change for the better um, and that there is an improvement. So 
the interesting thing about this is the final card is the ace of clubs. And that this, so we have a red card sandwiched between two black cards, two aces. Um, things are going to get better, but with the aces being initiatory sort of heralds of change, um, this is probably going to require some work on their part. And indeed, when we, whenever we see a club in a reading, we know that it's about work. It's about things that must be done, not necessarily trouble, but just things that require some labor, some intention, and some action. Also, the Ace of Clubs tells us is that there's going to be um, there's going to be some labor involved, and then maybe new labor. You're going to have to take action. You said, and I think the questioner or Clifford said that he's overseas. Um, so I'm a little concerned when I see the Ace of Clubs because I think it's going to require something to be done, and I have some concerns that you're far away. Pulling over just an extra card to get clarity of that, um, I think it's going to take some official action, um, maybe a letter. Um, it's it's going to take maybe some, some work. Um, it's going to take a bit of effort. The Nine of Hearts says it can happen. I just want you to be thinking about um, how much it's going to take in order to help your father-in-law or your partner's father. That's the reading I have for you. Um, I hope that that makes sense and comports with your understanding of the situation. It, it does, and we do believe that he has um, taken from the family, but we're trying to confirm it. And, in fact, um, it may necessitate my partner going overseas. So, <laughs> yep, what you said uh, was right. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, well, let's turn this over to Contraman for some root work advice. But before we do, I just want to note here, we had three aces between us. That's mm-hmm. interesting because aces, as, as he said, and as I would say too, initiate action. So action must be taken. Coins is diamonds, so that's money. Uh, the spade, swords, means some enemy type action. And wands is really where you can dig in and do something, do some work. So that's, if you just read those aces, that's a pretty clear message. All right, let's turn this over to Conjurman. Yeah, you've gotten some uh, interesting readings here. Um, what I'm going to do is give you some root work based off of those readings and that you can do on your own. This is a case where you should probably at some point consider getting a root worker involved or a professional who can at least guide you through more customized work or who can do some of it. Uh, on your behalf. And the reason for this is there's distance work involved. There seems to be a lot of different parties. So uh, something to consider. But this is where you can start. First and foremost, we need to break any attempt at home. We need to break any attempt at harm. We need to ensure that this situation no longer continues. So we're going to play with that five of swords imagery. And what I want you to get is needles. You can do five to mimic the imagery of the card. Um, I generally use nine needles in this particular working, but you can adjust it based off of the tarot card that was pulled. You're going to set these nine needles out. You're going to get a black and white uh, reversible candle, double action candle. You're going to anoint it with reversing oil, light it, and by light of this, you're going to pick up each one of these needles, and you're going to break off the eye of it. 
So the eye of the needle needs to be broken. One, two, three, one by one. And you're going to pray as you do so that whatever evil, whatever actions, whatever undermining is being done needs to be broken. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Break them one by one by one by one. Place all the broken needles into a small jar and cover the entire thing with salt. So fill it up with salt and tell salt to purify, remove, to remove harm, to remove any attempts, to remove deception, etc. Close this up, take it to a river, throw into the river over your left shoulder and walk away without looking back. Then when you come home, I want you to get the uh, Go, and you can print this out online, or you can purchase uh, a whole stack of them from Lucky Mojo. You want to work with the Seals of Solomon. You get the Sixth Pentacle of Jupiter, which is to protect from all dangers and harm. You are going to take two of these. One of these you are going to make very tiny and conceal in a photo. This will be in some type of, uh, you know, photo of your of, of your family, photo of this individual. You're going to place it on the back in the frame itself. Place it in the back in the frame itself. You're going to smoke it with protection, fiery wall of protection incense, and you're going to recite a psalm. You're going to recite this psalm, uh, 22.16, if I'm not mistaken. They pierced my hands and feet, I may tell, O my bones. You're going to pray over this, smoke it in the fiery wall of protection incense, and set it up on the altar. The next one is going to require a little bit of digital skills here. You're going to be very, very tiny and include in a letter. So you're going to write this letter and you can use this as a water print in the background of it. You can uh, use invisible ink if you prefer. If you don't have any digital skills, you can use a little bit of digital ink. But be careful. If it gets any heat, they'll see it. But you want to include it in this letter and send the letter to this other person so that it arrives in their house. Make sure that the letter includes uh, a family photo or some type of gift that they will keep so that the letter is not something that they will throw away. You might consider putting this on a card of some sort. But make it very tiny. It requires digital skills. You can include it, conceal it in an image, conceal it in the letter. But this will ensure that you connect that person to the working that you are doing at home. Ideally, there should be some type of connection. If you don't any digital skills, you might consider simply making a talisman and concealing this seal within the talisman. One way that I've done this in the past is I've actually put these talismans as a little scroll inside of a locket that I then locked, actually sealed so that the locket could not be opened up. I decorated the outside of it so it looks nice and pretty, and they never considered, oh, I should open this locket up. It just looked like a really nice, beautiful pendant. Uh, so that's one way you can do it. You can make the seal roll it up into a scroll, place it into the locket, lock the locket. There's a way of uh, you can actually seal the metal. And then it does require a little bit of skill and things like engraving. You can get a friend to help you with that. But that's one way to conceal it physically if you don't have any digital skills. But you want to sneak this talisman into this person's possession. 
this will be an ongoing working so long as you have the other image in your house in the picture frame i want you to regularly on thursdays in the day of jupiter which is a powerful and protective day to light that fiery wall of protection incense pray over it psalm 91 to keep yourself and this person safe as long as you do this this person will remain safe and protected um, but it's a way of, of extending influence you can also alter this working if you have access to this other person if you need to influence them in some way shape or form you can also use the locket as a form or the uh, talisman that you send them whether it's in digital form on a piece of paper or on a physical talisman you can use it as a form of influence you can add influence oil to sway them persuade them uh, for uh, your partner uh, to have some type of control or influence over them. So this work is adjustable depending on the situation, depending on what needs to be done, and depending, because this is going to be a dynamic case, things are going to develop, things are going to change, things are going to happen, and you're going to have to be able to adjust accordingly. We have some time, so let's see if Ms. Kat and Cousin Joshua have anything further to uh, say. I'm going to say um, one thing, again, depending on what the person's interest are or what they like you can also um, prepare something that they might enjoy and you don't know I mean until you talk to someone what they enjoy so I, I for instance someone might collect coins or stamps or someone might have an interest in model trains or whatever it is that they have or like you can enchant one of those the smaller the better of course and if your partner is going there to see the person prepare both of them at your home and take one to be you know there that was my advice what about you joshua um i think this advice is absolutely stunning as a spell working and i think i like that it's modular so dom christ you can adjust it for your needs i don't have anything to add to that particular work i would say if there's travel to deal with an enemy which it sounds like that may be required and this is very simple herbal work. Just a pinch of ground comfrey and mugwort in your partner's shoes will help ensure that his business is unimpeded by evil. And I, I just wanted to throw that out. If, if we're going to go halfway across the world to deal with this, you may want to think about a little, a little foot magic to keep your partner safe. That's a really good idea. Comfrey is used for safe travel. And... Um, it, it's it's really an excellent thing. It's, it it works that way because <clears throat> if the weather is right and <clears throat> the soil is most moist, if you throw down a piece of comfrey root, even on the surface of the ground, it'll send roots down in and grow. So it's like safe travel because wherever you go, you'll be safe and the plant will grow. So that's a very good advice. Um, and also maybe lighting a safe travel candle or making a safe travel mojo to carry while going. All right, Dom Christ. Well, I hope we've been able to help. It sounds like a complicated problem, and you're on the job. You're the one who's going to do some of this work, so good luck to you. All right, now it's time for our network schedule announcement.
The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Cousin Joshua of CousinJoshua.com in Atlanta, Georgia. Take it away, Cousin Joshua. Okay, so today's spell is to work with rosemary as an ally for the protection of the home. And so what you're going to need is a live rosemary plant from your local nursery. I was placed near your front door or walkway to plant the rosemary, some garden soil, a spade, a three-inch square or around a post-it-sized square of brown grocery store um, bag paper, and um, a pen, either house blessing oil or protection oil, and some water. And what you're going to be, oh, and if you're going to be using a container for this work, for our friends with balconies or apartments or condominiums, you'll want a pot that's at least 12 inches in diameter, and it absolutely must have drainage holes. And you're going to want to use potting soil instead of garden soil. So rosemary is a great, useful perennial herb. Um, she does prefer full sun, but she's probably okay in partial shade as long as she's at least around direct sun for six or more hours. Um, she does need well-drained soil, so it's important to not plant her in low, plant, low points in the yard. Um, you'll want to put her in higher places where she can get good drainage. Similarly, if you're planting her in a container, you'll want to always avoid overwatering. A lot of people love their plants to death. Instead, to check the soil, you'll just put your finger in the potted plant, or the potted rosemary, and if the first one or two inches of soil is dry, that's when she's going to want some water. So you're going to want to do this work about four to six weeks before your, lo- your first frost in the area and put it in your front door, walkway, fence gate, or the entrance to your home, whichever place gets the most sun. So to begin the work, you're in the center of the brown paper with torn edges on the four sides to make a square. You're going to write out your name and the names of those uh, living in your home. Next, around these names of your loved ones, you're going to write out Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4. And you're going to surround the names with the psalm, like a hedge of protection. And that psalm begins with, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Um, but you do verses 1 through 4 of that, writing the petition out. I want you to anoint it in a five-spot pattern with either the protection oil or house blessing oil. Next, you'll dig a spot for the rosemary plant, or you'll fill your container uh, with dirt. You'll take your petition and lay it face up. Now, normally, I love a folded petition, either towards or away, depending upon what you're doing. But this, we want to put face up to the sky, sprinkle a little soil over it, and then you're going to plant your rosemary on top of it. When you're planting your rosemary, be a little careful here. Sometimes when we get plants from the greenhouse or from the nursery, they can be a little root bound. So you want to give the root ball a gentle squeeze to break up any roots a little bit so that she can then extend them into the earth. So as you put the rosemary on top of that dirt and petition paper, you're going to fill in soil around her main 
branch or main stem, and you'll want you to talk to the plant. And it might feel a little weird, but I want you to tell the rosemary plant your intention, saying something about why you're planting her. Like, little rosemary, I hope you enjoy the soil and the water I'm about to give you. I ask that you aid in the care and protection of my family members and keep people from this home. So once she's all settled in the dirt, you're going to pour water and water her. And over the next week or two, I want you to look at the rosemary plant as you walk by to your home. Notice if any dirt has settled. A lot of times when we plant things, dirt settles over time, and you may need to add a little more in the first few weeks. After that, every time you walk by this um, plant who's guarding your home, you can either say Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4, or just acknowledge that she's part of the magic of keeping your family safe and that she's going to be part of your garden. In the spring, once you get those beautiful pale blue rosemary flowers, you can harvest a few flowers and leaves, thanking the plant for its help in protecting your home. And you can even add those to the protection oil or to the house blessing oil and then use that oil to anoint your door. Again, saying Psalm 91 or another psalm that's your favorite. The point of this work is to get you to make a plant friend. And so once you're done, you can congratulate yourself because you're now a magical gardener and you have a plant ally to help you in the protection of your health. Wow. That's that's, very cool. That's really, really nice. That's a wonderful way to work. Excuse me. The rosemary is good for many things, not just for protection. It's also good for your memory. And it stimulates memory like most members of the mint family. And I find rosemary a good plant to plant to, uh, when you walk by it, crush, just, it has these little, little, tiny little rolled, kind of flatly rolled leaves. They almost look like like a little pine needle, but they're not. They're a little leaf that's been very oppressed. And you, oppressed, not oppressed. And um, and you can just pick a leaf and uh, just, um, rub it between your fingers. Just you know, go through the fingers and smell it. It is well known to stimulate your mind. If you cannot smell rosemary, you should go see your doctor. And I'm not kidding. No, really, I'm not kidding. Yes. If you cannot smell yes. rosemary, there's something wrong with you, and it may be uh, what it's very pungent, and it, there may be a memory problem, or you may be suffering from long COVID. But you should always use a mem- have rosemary to test your memory for what rosemary smells like. I love this particular working because it works over time. Uh, you're building this relationship. You're doing this not over a day, over a week, but over a long stretch of time. And that's what a good relationship is, right? It takes work. It takes patience. It takes uh, uh, the personal component there. So I love it. It's deceptively simple, but really an effective (laughs) way of working. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think it's a very versatile herb. It it can be helpful to women. Um, It can help the home. There's, you know, once you have the herb, again, you can add it to oil. You could even, if you were going to do a house blessing incense, you could add a few leaves to the house blessing incense. You know, you can start working with it and incorporate it in there. And then again, um, kind of what you were saying, Conjurman, about developing relationships, the more you work with it, the more you work with it. And and I think you mentioned earlier, you work with something long enough, you don't even have to do regular work anymore because your allies are doing it for you. Um, and, you know, that that's certainly a 
a, a possibility as uh, if people work this the way they work it. I have true to form. I never get spells that I don't do, and I have rosemary right by my front door. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. I, I have one more thing to say about rosemary. There are several different varieties. There's tall ones, and there is what's called prostrate rosemary, which will grow very nicely over a wall. So look at the different shapes before you choose one. It may be one will be better for you than the other. Prostrate rosemary growing out of a pot, it looks lovely if it's a nice old terracotta pot. All right, well, there's our music, and uh, we're going to have Clifford come in, and he's going to give us our closing announcements, and then we'll have a few more announcements maybe and then we'll all say goodbye so take it away Clifford thank you Miss Cat and Conjurman and thank you Cousin Joshua of CousinJoshua.com in Atlanta, Georgia for being our guest this week we invite you to join us next week when our special guest will be Deacon Millet of FortAlters.com in the high desert of California on the topic of money luck and hard times once again we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoover Work Hour brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Ms. Cat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and Contraman at contramanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer Clifford Lowe, joining you from Clifflow.com. The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And the shows are available in archive via luckymojo.com slash radioshow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in again once again next week at this same time when you will hear the familiar strains of Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz. Thanks, everybody, and goodbye. Thank you, Clifford. Thanks a lot. And I wanted to thank Dr. Sweets in the chat who mentioned that rosemary grows hair on the bald spot. Rosemary is used in hair oil. Rosemary is fantastic for the air. All right. Um, Now, I want to urge everybody, um, under the sound of my voice, to join the Lucky Mojo Forum. I know I mention it every once in a while, but not often enough. Mm -hmm. If you have questions... Join the Lucky Mojo Forum. It's free at forum.luckymojo.com. We have wonderful moderators, members of AIR, members of Hoodoo Psychics, and just intelligent practitioners will answer your questions about Hoodoo. Costs nothing. All you have to do is come up with a pseudonym, log in. Your first three posts will be hand-moderated, and after that, you're in. I hope to see you there. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye.